as a pastor, there are few, there are very few pastoral duties that will give me, there's this mix of pain and joy. It's a confusing mix of pain and joy that I have as a pastor to, to fulfill this duty of trying to pastor a Christian as they are at the end of their life and trying to, and, and ready to cross over to heaven. I, I just was thinking about this, it was yesterday, in fact, I was thinking about just some people in my, early on in my ministry that I had that with, uh, remember a man named Jerry Williams. And Jerry, he would tell you, I don't say anything Jerry wouldn't tell you. Jerry, he wouldn't call himself the smartest man. He's a nice man, he's a good man, but he wouldn't call himself book smart. You know what I mean? He knew how to do stuff, but he wasn't book smart. He wasn't a good reader or anything like that. And I remember it made my head swell up about five times bigger than it is when he would tell me that I don't, I don't understand much, but I understand your preaching, and he really liked my preaching. He'd sit out back there about where Terry's sitting there, and he'd sit right there every service in that, in that, in that church, and he'd listen to me preach, but he ended up getting liver, a source of the liver is what he had that day, but killing him. Couldn't get a transplant or anything like that. He was at that stage of life. And I remember those last few months of his life and trying to help him and trying to minister to him. And like I said, it was just a it's painful, but it's also a joy because I knew he was a Christian. I knew he was going to heaven. Elmer Billings was another man. He was an old, older man, and he was a wise and godly deacon. had been serving that church for many, many years. He ended up having cancer. And woman by the name of Claydell Collins that I got to meet in my last interim uh, ministry and she surely loved Jesus. She loved what I call old time preaching and singing. That's what she loved. She just loved it and she listened to the radio, whatever she could listen to. And again, my head got about five times bigger. She kind of liked my preaching too. So I was like, all right, I like you. If you like my preaching, I like you. I was telling you that right now. I said, if y'all want me to like you, just tell me you like my preaching. I'm she, she, does, she loved the Lord and, and she had breast cancer that had metastasized into other parts of her body, got in her lungs and things like that. And she wasn't able to go to church those last few months of her life. And when I talked to her, she just said, I sure you missed going to church, sure you missed going to church. And I just remember her being faithful all the way to the end. But there's one that stood out in my mind that I wanted to tell you about a woman named Nancy Johnson. Uh, she wasn't a perfect woman by any means. Don't get the wrong impression. She was not a perfect woman. She had real problems, like real life problems. I remember counseling with her over some of those things. I won't share it with you because it's none of your business. But the point is, she had real problems. She had real, real issues. This was not like some perfect woman who had the world figured out by any means. But nonetheless, she was constantly in the Word. I remember she had she had gone through several stages of cancer and. Had, Gotten in remission, came back, and all this back and forth. But finally, it kind of got her and got a hold of her, and it wasn't going to let go. And I would go visit with her, and she would constantly be telling me about what she just had read about it. She's she's talking to me, teaching me stuff about the Bible out of what she had, had, had read about. In fact, even I remember that last visit I had in her home with her and her husband, and then went to her home, and she actually gave me uh, an envelope. It had the sermon that she wanted me to preach at her funeral. <laughs> she told me, that not, here's the text, here's what I want you to say. I mean, I had, I really just need to read what the woman wrote. That kind, of, that, kind of, that kind of thing. And I was fine with that. But, I, I, again, I won't bore you with all the details, but she had a difficult life. Had a lot of things going from growing up and even in her married life and her 
children, just a lot of different things that she had to struggle with. But she had plenty of reasons to give up. Plenty of opportunity to hurt other people as much as she had been hurt. She had lots of reasons to run around, talk about people, and say things that would hurt people. And she, I think, I don't think anybody in this room would hold it against her. And I know we would agree that she would be wrong to do so, but I don't think we'd hold it against her if you'd have known all the circumstances of her life and what she had dealt with and where she was at that moment in time. You wouldn't hold it against her. For her to say to you, I think God's just abandoned me. But she was always alert to the attacks of the devil. She was always working, seeking to please God in everything she did, even to help other people. And she always spoke the truth. Even if it hurt sometimes, sometimes she'd speak the truth and be like, ouch, that's not what I wanted to hear. But she was never obnoxious. She was never rude with that. She was never hateful or condescending, but she was constant. She was always constant in her faith, in her stand for the Lord. She was always constant. I'm saying to you that you've got a woman here who was at arguably the darkest moment of her life. And I don't know how to express it to you any other way, but she is literally weeks away from her death and had been in pain, significant pain, for many, many years, or many, many months prior to that. She's at one of the darkest moments of her life, but she is serving as a role model to me, someone who was supposed to be serving her, her pastor. Y'all understand that? That that's that's hard to swallow as the as the person supposed to be serving her. She was a wonderful lady. Don't get me wrong when I say what I'm about to say. She was a wonderful lady. But at best, she was a faint reflection of our Lord. She is not our Lord. She is nothing like our Lord. None of us are like our Lord. Like we all did. We will be conformed to his image one day. Yes, we will. But she wasn't. She's not Jesus. You understand that she's a person. But in this way, in that in her darkest hour, she's trying to help somebody else. In that way, she's exactly a reflection of what Jesus is doing here. Here's Jesus in Luke 22, walking through the darkest hours of his life on this planet. And he takes the time out to give his disciples some advice. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that's what he's doing here? He, he's, he is about to endure the cross. And what he does in verse 39, you're, you're there in Luke 22, verse 39, he goes to the Mount of Olives. And it says there, that he came out and went as he was wont. This was something he would do on a regular basis to go to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, this is what he says to them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, please understand the context here. Jesus had heard Peter's boast. You go back to verse 33. Peter has already said, listen, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll die for you. I'll go to prison. Don't worry about it. I'll do whatever it takes. He's heard, you won't see it in Luke here, but in other places, he's heard James and John claim that they're ready to suffer anything. If Jesus asked them, are you ready to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? If you baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, and they said, yeah, we are, sure. They didn't understand what he was asking, but they said, sure. He had heard all of that. And he knew what they didn't know, which is they had limits. They were weak. They were failing. They, they would fail. They were human beings that would fail, even if they're mind. In fact, he even 
says in another place, uh, Matthew's uh, rendition of this same exact story, instead of what he says in verse 40, pray that you enter not into temptation, Jesus actually says, and I believe Matthew has, rather, Jesus has said these other things, and Luke just doesn't report all of it, but he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he says, listen, I recognize, this is to say, your flesh is weak. You cannot do what it's supposed to do. You may think you've got it under control. Your heart might be in the right place. But when brass tacks, when the rubber hits the road, it just is going to fall apart. And he said, listen, you need to pray so that whenever those temptations come, and that word temptations means both trials, those difficulties of life, and temptations, those times when the devil tempts you to do what's not right. When those things come along, you need to get into prayer. In fact, before they come along, you need to get into prayer. Because if you wait you're in the, in the situation, not to say it's too late because God can suck out in all kinds of situations, but why not wait? Why don't you do it as he says there, uh, verse 40, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Pray before it ever comes because you're not ready. And then in verse 39, Brother, I'm right, excuse me, I apologize, I, I missed my place here. In verse 41, he actually models his own advice. He says, you need to pray because you're going to have some hard times ahead. You need to get ready. You need some help with this. And then he does that. He goes in verse 41, he's withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Here's Jesus. He knows what's coming. Do you know that? Jesus is not surprised by the crucifixion. He's not, he's not taking it by, oh my goodness, you think they're going to kill me? No, no, he knew. He said, for this reason I've come. He knows why he's coming. He knows that he's going to be killed. And he knows that he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. But in verse 41, he stops and he says, I need some prayer. I need some help. In fact, what does he say in verse 42? He needs his prayer. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here's Jesus following his own advice of praying so that when temptation, when those difficulties, when sin temptation comes, that you'll be prepared. Now, I want to make sure you understand what he's saying here. He is saying he'd rather the difficulty go away. He just as soon have the difficulty gone. And, and, I, and I, I think y'all can appreciate that. You're, you're sitting there, maybe you're in pain, uh, maybe there's somebody that's that's estranged from you. Maybe there's, uh, maybe your finances aren't where they need to be. You'd like God just to poof and get it gone, fix it, right? That's what I'd like. That's what Jesus said. He said, what's the same thing? And he says, listen, if I could get this cup that I'm about to have to drink, if that could pass for me, that'd be great. But he says, ultimately, I don't want necessarily the difficulty gone. I want more than that. I want to follow your will. That's what he says. And you know what happens? Y'all shouldn't be surprised by this, although I am surprised by this when I say this. I shouldn't be, but I am. God answers his prayer. The Father answers the prayer that Jesus has. Look what he does in verse 43. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now what you don't see happening in this moment is the removal of the difficulty. The Father does it. And by the way, you and I can say, amen, thank you, Lord, that he doesn't remove the difficulty because the minute he removes the difficulty, I'm undone. I have sin that I have to pay for now. But if Jesus goes through the cross, which is a difficult moment for him, if he goes through 
instead, what is happens here? This angel comes to strengthen him. He gives him strength for what's about to happen. Jesus is strengthened to do what only Jesus could do. And, and I want to go ahead and say this as a theological point that is a very important point for y'all to understand about this Gethsemane moment that Jesus is going through. There is no one that ever can and no one that ever will go through what Jesus went through, not just on the cross, but even in this moment. No one could ever do that. No one could ever fully understand this because what Jesus has on his shoulders is he knows, he knows he's going to be betrayed and denied by people who love him. Or he that rather that he loves and he thought loved him. He knows he's going to be railroaded by the very people that call his father their God. He knows that he would suffer unimaginable physical pain. Now everything I've just said at this point there might be people in this, even in this room that have endured that or might have to endure that. So I understand that. But the thing that makes Jesus' agony different than mine or yours ever is what he's got to do. It says there, look what he says in the prayer, verse 42. He's asking the Father to remove this cup. That cup that he is talking about, drinking this cup, this cup is a reference in the Old Testament when we talk about a cup and drinking of a cup. That concept is drinking the judgment of God. He's not simply, again, make sure we're real clear on this. What Jesus is about to endure is physically agonizing. It is something that I could not imagine going through. However, there are people and have been people and may still be people who endure unthinkable tortures for lots of reasons as criminals as persecuted, being persecuted as martyrs. So that in that way, what Jesus endured was not unique. What made Jesus' suffering so unique is he saying, I'm prepared to drink a cup of judgment, to take into myself what is owed and what is deserved to every man, every woman, everyone that has ever existed, everyone that will ever exist, I'm going to take that. He says, I'm ready to do that. He's ready to take our sins on his shoulders and take the judgment from an almighty God on our behalf. Are, are you hearing that? He's doing something that's unique that no one else can take on. And as a result of that, he says, I am so in so such agony. In fact, even after he strengthened, verse 43, verse 44, He's in agony. He even prays more earnestly. His sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. I think that starts to explain why he's in such agony. He knows it's going to hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually, and he knows he's going to bear something that no human being could bear ever. Never could we bear. And because of that, he takes it in prayer. I, 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 I want to make sure that I've got, I've got a lot to say and I want to get through it very quickly. But I want to make sure that you understand that what Jesus is showing us here is that prayer, it's a very big deal. I think sometimes we can be so dismissive of prayer. Oh, it's, I'll pray for you. And then maybe y'all don't do this, but say that and then, oh, I can never get saved. I didn't even think about it. Let's pray about it. Y'all are saying then, but y'all know what y'all Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll confess some sins up here, I guess. But 
does is he takes this in prayer and gets the help he needs. And in doing this, he shows and he shares his wisdom. He's praying, and it's what gives him the strength to go through the torture, the pain of the cross. Okay? Are you with me so far? Now, what's, what's, what is wild to me about this is Jesus is about to endure something that no man could ever endure, but he's giving us advice to do what he did to deal with much lesser things. I, he's going to the cross, and he's saying, make sure you pray before you go into temptation. You're going to go into temptation. It's going to come. You don't need to pray for it. He even says here, so, so look what happens. Look what happens to him. So after he's told them in verse uh, 40, y'all need to pray. He goes and prays, and in verse 45, he rises up from prayer, and he comes to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Sleeping for sorrow. Now, let's be fair to the disciples. He says they're sleeping for sorrow. They have been so distressed, they've been so distraught by what Jesus has revealed to them up to this point that they're saying, oh no, we don't know how to make this thing work. We're concerned, we're worried. Y'all ever been so worried that it just exhausted you? That's how they were. They were so worried, they were so worried, they're exhausted, they can't pray. So grieved, they fall asleep. But now, don't miss that in verse 44, Jesus is in agony. What does he do when he's in agony? He prays more earnestly. The disciples fall asleep. They pray more. He prays more earnestly. So what the point is here, you have to pray in order to stay alert for what is to come. To stay alert for what is to come. See, the difference between what Jesus does and what the disciples do is Jesus is dedicated to seeking help from heaven. My question as we think about this is, are we ready for what's to come or are we arrogant? And I think that too many of us are like Peter and James and John. Peter, he says, I can take it on. I, I can do whatever. I can follow you anywhere. But can you actually stand with him when the world is against him? Peter couldn't. He says, I'm going I'm to suffer for you, Jesus. I will, I will go to prison for you. But will you actually deny yourself? What Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Will you actually tell yourself, no, don't do that? He says, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. But are we willing to live for him? Literally, are we able to, are we willing, rather? Yes, we can say, we'll do the, we'll take over the whole world for you, Jesus. But are we willing to actually stop a minute and say, Lord, I'm not strong enough to face whatever's coming. I don't even know what's coming, but I know I'm not strong enough for it. I need your help. And I would challenge us, I would challenge you to say, I bet most of us are not. Most of us, we don't, we wait till we get in the, in the pit, we wait till we get off in the ditch off the side of the road, and then we say, Lord, I need some help now. And Jesus says, no, hang on, you need to be willing to stay alert because you don't know what's going to come, and you need to be prepared for that. Jesus shows us that we're never as ready as we think that we are for what's to come, but don't despair. You call out to him. We also need to be prepared to act properly for what's to come. Here we go into the next scene in <clears throat> verse 47. And Judas is there. He's one of the twelve. And he draws near Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus says unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? 
Here's Jesus when he's portrayed uh, by, by Judas. He's being set up. He's being, he's being put in a position that, I mean, he's, there's no win here. He's going to be turned over to the authorities. That they're going to wrongfully accuse him. That's He knows, by the way, you know Jesus is God. He knows everything. He knows what's about to happen. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And if I were Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, I would have, this is Matthew, not Jesus, by the way, Matthew. I would probably have locked up some of those people outside the head or something. I would have done something. And, and you got the disciples saying, hey, can, should we smite them with a sword? You know what I would have said? Go on, boys. Y'all get them. That's what I would have said. That's Matthew talking again, not, not Jesus. I said, go for it. Y'all take them. If you can't take them, I got them. You, you get, them, get a couple, I'll come back to you. That's what I would have done. But here's Jesus. He, despite being set up, he is in full control of himself in this situation. He sits there and he's just talking to Judas and says, huh, so you're going to betray me now, Jesus. Judas, is that what you're going to do? He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not ugly. He's not mean. He's not hateful. He doesn't hurt anybody. He just simply says the truth. Hey, you're going, you're going to betray. Is this what we're going to do now, Jesus? Is this how we're going to do this? Okay. That's what he does. Disciples on the other hand, they want to attack. Should we smite? In fact, in verse 50, one of them spoke the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell me exactly what this person was doing. By the way, it's Peter. You go to John, John tells us this is Peter who's doing this. We don't know exactly what Peter was going for, but I can imagine he wasn't trying to give the fellow a shave. I can imagine he wasn't trying to be nice to him and pat him on the head. I imagine he was going for the neck. I imagine he was going for it, chopping his head off. He was probably going for something more violent. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or Jesus himself that made it not happen or Peter's own faulty aim, but all he ended up doing is slicing his ear off. But here, he tries to slice his ear off, attempts, I think he's attempting to kill the man, but what does Jesus do? Verse 51, suffer ye thus far, he says in so many words, that's enough, y'all, just stop. That's enough, stop. And what does he do then? He touched his ear and he healed him. Do y'all get the picture of what Jesus is doing? He's actually in a moment where these people are coming to get him, haul him away, treat him unjustly. He actually says, y'all stop being stupid. I'm going to fix what's wrong here. Now let's get on with this. He's acting absolutely appropriately and properly. My question then becomes, how are we going to behave? When sin tempts us, when the situation goes bad, or when it turns unfair against us, what are we going to do? I can tell you what most of us do. We start acting a fool. Maybe I don't want to talk about y'all. Maybe I'm just talking about Matthew. When bad situations come, I get, things get a little out of sorts. My anger gets up. I get frustrated. I say things I don't mean. Again, y'all looking at me like, like y'all don't do none of that. I'm sorry. Y'all don't do none of that. But I'm just telling you, that's Matthew right there. And I imagine that's many of y'all too. When the circumstances get out of control, whenever the difficulties come, you start getting mad. You start taking it out on people. You start trying to attack, trying to fix it. Here's Jesus showing us because of his prayer that strengthened him, he acted properly in the situation. Instead of reacting and being angry and reacting and doing sinful things, he acted properly because of his prayer. We also need to speak truth during what's to come. You see what he says? 
He, he does act in verse 52. He talks to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, etc. And he says, uh, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hand against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now what he says here, if you're really paying attention to it, he's being very direct and being very harsh. But he's also being very clear and he's being very true. He's accusing them of treating him like a thief. This is what you would do to somebody who's a criminal. It's exactly what you treat a criminal. He's accusing them of hiding under the cover of night because he could have done that. He was literally the chapters before this. He's going every day into the temple to teach. And everybody's there. And they didn't lift a finger then. So what was the problem? And that's what he's saying. He said, I'm calling you out for your sin. Calling you out for what you're doing wrong. He accuses them, and this here, it says, in the power of darkness, he accuses them of being driven by Satan himself. But he does nothing, and he says nothing that's out of the way. The only thing that Jesus does is preaches the truth that convicts of sin. That's what he does. But what is, what's the words coming out of the disciples' mouth? Well, we'll see in verse 454 and following. They're just denying Jesus. <laughs> They're actually lying. They're telling things that are not true. What's the difference? Here's Jesus who's praying for the circumstances that are about to come upon him. Yet the disciples are asleep. They are not praying. And the outcome is, when it comes time to talk, Jesus, he's talking truth. When it comes time to talk to his disciples, they are not speaking the truth. So what are you going to say when that sin tips you or circumstances turn against you? Are we going to resist sin? We're going to respond to the persecution and the attacks. I can tell you what I tend to do whenever I have sin, temptation coming against me. I want to justify my sin and my desires. It's not that bad. It's okay. Those are the words that want to come out of my mouth. I want to tell you how it's, you don't understand the circumstances. Why this happened because of this and this and that. It's not, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. That's what sin does to us. But if we're praying and we're asking the Lord for help in those temptations and those difficulties, what we'll see instead, instead of giving excuses, is we will speak truth to ourselves. We'll speak convicting truth to ourselves. We will resist the devil. We will tell him no because of the prayer that we have prayed. Jesus is showing us what our speech should sound like when we're under attack. And under attack of ourselves and under attack of sin. Last thing I will tell you about, and I'll let you go to the house. I won't read the whole story there in 54 and 62. But Peter had been told by Jesus, you're going to deny me three times before it's all said and done. Peter said, no, I ain't going to deny you. But instead, the first whiff of controversy was a woman that asked him, hey, you were with Jesus, right? No. Another man just asking him, you were with him, right? No, you don't know what you're talking about. A third one says, I know you said no, but you got to be, you were the one. And he says, no way, no how. The first whiff of controversy, he is denying Jesus, he's waffling all over the place. Now, to be fair, Jesus does, he rather, he's later reconciled with Jesus, go to John chapter 21, you'll see this. But without prayer, and Peter is a man standing here 
in verses 54 through 62, he is not praying for the temptation that's going to face him. He's not asking about strength. And without prayer, there is no strength to stand. On the other hand, we have Jesus who has prayed. And he says, I'm going to show you what you need to do. You need to get on your knees and ask the Father for help from what's to come. And he does exactly that. He said, I'd like you to take it from me, but I want to do your will, so you got to help me. And he sends that angel to strengthen him. And as a result of that, here's Jesus from the beginning of, this is just the beginning of everything, and he suffers indignities from a sham uh, judicious, judicial system. His, I want y'all to think about this. His own creation turns against him. His own people turn against him. He is about to endure what historians and everybody that I've ever read says is, is literally human torture that is not, it's just not even thought about among civilized society, the kind of thing he had to endure as a, as a crucifixion. And then he actually is going to endure the Father's judgment on him in our place. Yet through all of that, what is he doing? He is rock solid. He is steady. He is focused. He is doing, he is never wavering. In fact, the way the writer of Hebrews puts it, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you weary and faint in your mind. And I know that you and I, your excuse might be, well, I'm not Jesus. Jesus is better than me. Absolutely, but you have Jesus. You can access him. He is available to you. The strength that he had to, with joy, look to the cross to actually endure that and stand and be steady and to be constant, to be that, to do that. That is power that you can have through him. Not because you're so strong. Oh my goodness, none of us are. But because you can access this. How are you going to access it? Flip a switch in your head? No, we, Jesus told us. Let me just read it to you. Pray that you enter not into temptation. You want this kind of constancy. You're going to have to pray. Will you stand when temptation is strong and the difficulties prevail? How are you going to defeat those tendencies and personal proclivities that we all have? How are you going to stand for Jesus when nobody else will? How are you, how's your faith going to stay strong when people disappoint you? And by the way, if people haven't disappointed you yet, just wait, they're going to. And how are you, how's your faith going to be strong when they disappoint you? How's your hope going to be strong when that sickness will not leave? How, is your, how, how are you going to stay on mission for God when people are attacking you for no good reason? How are you going to do that? It's only possible through the strength of Jesus. I've given you a message, given you the thought. We need to pray to face what is about to come. So I'm going to give you an invitation right now. I'm just going to tell you very quickly that if there's unbelievers in this room, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can ask for 